0: Church, can you hear me? It's the last day of 2017, can you believe it? I want to start off by asking you a question. Have you ever read your Bible before and as you went through, the passage, a light bulb came on? You saw something you never saw before, even though you may have read it so many times, or something made sense and another puzzle piece was added to your understanding of God and Jesus and of the Christian life. Well, I remember that I had this experience in a powerful way almost three years ago now. I discovered something that I had never, ever understood before about Jesus. It was exciting. It was thrilling. I discovered the central message of the Christian faith in in a new light. I began to relate to God and pray in different ways. And the discovery that I'm talking about is the concept of the kingdom of heaven. In this three-week series, we're going to be spending time discussing the kingdom of heaven in Matthew's gospel. And I believe this is one of the most fundamental truths for us to understand as Christ's followers. I believe that as we grasp the significance of the kingdom in Jesus' teaching and live it out, that we will experience a radical paradigm shift that will help us to fulfill all that Jesus intended for us as his followers on earth. Because the truth is that Jesus lived and breathed the kingdom. Maybe you're here this morning and and you've never opened a Bible in your life. Maybe this is all really new to you. Well, you're here at the perfect time because we're going to be exploring the central message of Jesus during his life on earth. And his life and message changed people's lives. It was good news for the irreligious. It was good news for the outsider. And I'm praying that you will perceive just how good and exciting this message is today. The kingdom of heaven is good news for all. Craig Blomberg, he's a renowned expert in the Gospels, says that the concept of the kingdom forms the very core of Jesus' teaching. In fact, Basileia is the Greek term for kingdom. The New Testament was written in Greek. And it occurs 55 times in the Gospel of Matthew, more than in any of the other Gospels. Clearly, this is important for us to understand. Even one of my Bible college lecturers once said, we can't understand the Gospels, Jesus, the good news, unless we understand the kingdom. My prayer is that God would lead us to such an understanding this morning. When Jesus began his ministry... He preached about the kingdom. It says in Matthew 4, verse 17, after he overcame his time of testing in the wilderness, he went into his ministry. And in Matthew 4, verse 17, it says, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in Matthew 4, verse 23, there's a verse that summarizes Jesus's ministry. And it says, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Now, what is the gospel? We talk about it a lot here at BBCC. We believe it is absolutely central to our faith, and in fact, we believe it is so central that it forms part of our mission as a church, which is to make growing disciples. Uh, lost my slot. <laughs> To make growing disciples of Jesus Christ through gospel-centered and spirit-empowered worship, community, service, and mission. But what is the gospel? What we usually hear when someone explains the gospel is this. The gospel is the good news that Jesus lived the perfect life and died the death we should have died and rose again in power. The gospel is Jesus' life, death and resurrection. It's the good news about what he accomplished through those things. He made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins and, and so on. And this is absolutely true, and it's how Paul summarises the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Okay, here he goes. He goes to summarise it now. He says, "For I delivered to you, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So you can sort of see how Paul explains the gospel here. He says, Jesus died, he was buried, he was raised from the dead. This is the gospel. And he draws out why those things are such good news elsewhere. But here's what's really interesting. If, like I said earlier, Jesus preached the gospel, then how would Paul's summary of this message have made sense during his ministry? Did Jesus go to all of Israel and say, this is the good news, I've died, I've been buried, I've, I've risen again? Well, that doesn't make sense, because he hadn't died or risen from the dead yet. he had only just started his ministry. But yet it says in Matthew 4 23, that he went throughout all Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus' death and resurrection were still to come. Jesus was preaching the arrival of the kingdom of heaven as good news. The gospel that Jesus preached was the good news that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. It had arrived. But what is the kingdom and why is it good news? Why is it called a gospel? Those are the questions we're going to be asking ourselves today. We're going to explore what the kingdom is, and why it is good news that Jesus brought the kingdom with him and what that means for our lives today. So, first of all, what is the kingdom of heaven? So, just a quick side note when I use the terms kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God or kingdom, I'm using them as if they all mean the same thing. They're, they're all the same concept. Kingdom of heaven is the same thing as the kingdom of God. I would argue that they just have slightly different nuances. But here we go. What is the kingdom of heaven? The easiest way to explain what the kingdom is, is to say that the kingdom is God's reign. It's God's rule. It's his dominion. It's an activity far more than it is a place. I used to live in the United Kingdom, which is a geographical area. It's more of an activity than it is a place. Everywhere that you see Jesus say kingdom in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you can almost always replace that phrase with God's reign. So what Jesus says in Matthew 4, verse 17 could be read like this. Repent for God's reign is at hand. In other words, he said, God's rule has come. Repent and come and submit to God as king. This is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. It's about the rule of God. It's about his reign, his sphere of influence. Where the will of God is done, the kingdom of God is present. That's why Jesus prayed in Matthew 6, verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven, the realm of God's presence, the sphere of God's rule, broke into our world through the ministry of Jesus. So, this is what the kingdom of heaven is it is the dynamic rule of God, it's His dominion, it's His reign. But what about our second question? Why is the arrival of the kingdom of heaven good news? Why is this the gospel? Well, in first century Rome, a gospel was a report that a messenger would carry after a great victory in an army. He would carry this gospel and he would read it out in the towns and cities declaring the victory of the Roman Empire over and against its enemies. And everyone was expected to act accordingly. They would celebrate and dance and sing and feast. They would celebrate this Roman gospel. So what we see Jesus doing is coming and saying, I've got a gospel for you. I've got good news for you. God's reign has come. Victory is imminent. Your enemies will be defeated. And this was extremely good news for first century Jewish ears. Because they were living under Roman rule this time. They were under Roman subjugation. So this would have been exciting. Could the promises of the Old Testament really be coming to fulfilment? Was this the promised king from the line of David who would come, defeat their enemies and set up the kingdom of Israel? Well, yes and no. Not in the way that they expected. The arrival of the kingdom did mean the victory of God over his enemies. But this victory was altogether different from Jewish expectation. They expected an earthly political rule. Jesus brought a heavenly rule. They expected victory through military strength. Jesus established victory through a humiliating death on a cross. They expected victory to be the defeat of Rome. Jesus defeated the, defeated the powers behind Rome, Satan's kingdom of darkness. It may not have been the good news that the people desire, but it is better news than they could have ever imagined. Jesus brought the victory of God through the kingdom of God and he has defeated the enemies that destroy our world and our lives. The arrival of the kingdom means victory for us. Victory over Satan. Victory over sin. Victory over the addictions that plague you. Victory over death itself. The arrival of God's reign is good news because no other opposing power, no other kingdom can withstand his rule. The kingdom of God means victory over our enemies. But sometimes we can be a bit like the Jews of Jesus' day. We can place all of our hope and expectation in the things of this world. You know, For some of us, sometimes a promotion at work is much better news than victory over sin. For some others, successful children with a private education is better news than the arrival of a heavenly kingdom. Good news for others would be a date with that boy or that girl that would just make you complete. But the good news of the kingdom of heaven is better than any of those things could ever be. We were created to live under God's rule. He satisfies our deepest longings and needs and the kingdom of heaven is better. The first reason the kingdom of heaven is such good news is because it means victory over our real enemies. And the second reason is because it means we can become truly human again. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Genesis. Let's go to the very first chapter of the very first book, Genesis chapter 1. And it says in verses 26 to 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion. Let them have the rule, the reign, over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God created us to have dominion, to rule over his creation. These verses show us that God, the king, made us to carry out his rule over the earth for him. We were created to reign over the earth underneath God, to rule and to carry out his will. I imagine that this is a little bit like being a servant in the household of the Queen of England. Imagine you were a servant in the Queen's home. You were the manager of her household. You were there to make sure everything runs smoothly, that all the other servants are taken care of, to manage her homely affairs. Now, this doesn't mean you own the household. She owns it. And you're under her jurisdiction. You are simply meant to carry out her will. And this is a little bit like what we are meant to do as God's stewards and servants on earth. We're meant to to rule over, to manage his creation, pursuing his best interests at heart. But why isn't humanity fulfilling this calling anymore? I mean, it's pretty obvious the majority of Australians don't look to to do God's best interests. The majority of Australians fully don't even believe God exists. So why are we fulfilling this calling anymore? What went wrong? In other words, why did Jesus have to bring God's rule again? Well, he had to bring God's rule again because we exchanged God's rule for the serpent's rule all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve rejected their place in God's world and tried to become like him. Genesis 3, verse 1 to 7, we'll read it. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, Instead of carrying out God's rule, God's will, by obeying his command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we chose to trust in Satan's advice, the serpent's advice. Adam and Eve believed in that moment that God was holding out on them, that he was withholding something good from them. So they chose to eat from the tree that he had commanded them not to eat from. And you know, we so often easily think that God is holding out on us that He exists to burden us with rules and regulations and take away our joy. But that couldn't be further from the truth. God is good. He is our loving Father. He created us. He created this world. He knows how it works best and He is for our good. We can trust Him. King David understood this when he wrote Psalm 16 verse 11. He said, you make known to me the path of life, O God. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve didn't understand this and they embraced the directions of the serpent, Satan. Now, Satan may have been lying when he said they wouldn't die, but he wasn't lying when he said that they would become like God, knowing good and evil. He just didn't explain what that meant. It doesn't mean like some believe that they just lost their innocence and all of a sudden they could see what was right and wrong. I mean, Eve already knew that it was wrong to her for her to eat from the tree and she told the serpent this. So what does it mean that they would be like God, knowing good and evil? Because this will help us understand what happened after they chose to eat the forbidden fruit. This will help us understand what went wrong with humanity and why we do not carry out his rule on earth anymore. So in order to know what it meant by them becoming like God, we must look at what God is like. So let's go back to Genesis 1 and notice what God does after each day of creation. He creates, I'm just going to summarize it quickly. And it says in Genesis 1 verse 4, and God saw that the light was good. He creates and it says in Genesis 1 verse 10, and God saw that it was good. And this pattern keeps repeating itself in verses 12, 18, 21, 25 and 31. God saw and it was good. It's teaching us that God is the one who declares what is good. God is the one who decides what is good, right? But what do we see see Eve do in Genesis 3 verse 6? Well, she looks at the tree she was forbidden to eat from and it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good what god was the one who was supposed to declare what is truly good but eve embraced satan's kingdom satan's rule and decided for herself what was good what god called evil she called good this is what satan meant by saying that your eyes will be opened and you will be like god knowing good and evil indeed adam and eve did become like god they became their own gods And decided for themselves what is good and what is not. You see, we were supposed to live in God's kingdom in Genesis 1 in a state where we were ruled by God and where under his dominion we ruled over his creation. But Satan's kingdom is one in which we have made ourselves our own gods and decide for ourselves what is good. And why is this such a tragedy? Well, firstly, Adam and Eve completely rejected God and his will. That's sad. But secondly, this is a tragedy because when Adam and Eve tried to be God, they and all of humanity actually lost the ability to rule, to carry out their image. The image of God in them was broken. I mean, we see it in the very next chapter. We see one of Adam and Eve's sons, Cain, fail to rule over his desires. God says to him in Genesis 4 verse 7, Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. In other words, God is saying to Cain, sin wants to rule over you in this moment. Your desires might be telling you that you hate Abel and you want to kill him, but you need to rule over that and choose my will. But Cain couldn't. He wouldn't. At the fall in Genesis 3, humanity lost the ability to... To rule, Cain didn't have the ability to carry out God's will on earth and ended up murdering his brother. And this leads to another point. Another reason the fall in Genesis 3 was such a tragedy is because it brought death into the story. Cain's sin led to the murder, the death of Abel. And God warned Adam and Eve of this when he told them not to eat from the tree. He told them that they would surely die if they ate from it. And the human story, tragically, has repeated the story of Adam and Eve's sin. We are born into their rebellion. We reject the rule of God and we experience spiritual and physical death as a consequence. Sin, self-rule, always leads to death. Let me read out what Eve did again in Genesis 3 verse 6 to just remind you of the language that was used because we're going to use that for a moment. Genesis 3 verse 6, So when when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Now I'm going to read to you some other verses from the biblical story to show you how this tragic tragic scenario just repeats itself again and again. So Genesis 6 verse 1 to 2 says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw... That the daughters of men were attractive, exactly the same Hebrew word for good, and they took as their wives any they chose. Now, this was rebellion against God, and this act led to the death of nearly every human being in existence. It led to the flood during Noah's time. King David is another example. 2 Samuel 11 verse 2, it says, It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw... From the roof, a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. Same Hebrew word, for good again. And we read that David went and sent his servants and took her for himself. And again, David's sin led to the death of Bathsheba's husband and of his firstborn son. Can you see the pattern? We were meant to be rulers on earth under God's rule. We were meant to be free. But instead, we chose Satan's rule and ironically, we actually lost our ability to rule over creation. We lost our freedom to choose what is truly good. Instead, we became slaves. Slaves to sin like Cain was. Why would we ever be our own gods? We are terrible gods. We all, all we end up doing is enslaving ourselves to other things and experiencing death. Self-rule is bad news because it always leads to death. And slavery. Today, we might not see people ruled by physical idols, but we see people ruled by their iPhones, addicted to checking their social media and not able to ignore a message and interact with people around them. We see people ruled by other people's opinions of them, just constantly trying to please others and win their respect. We see people ruled by the Australian suburban dream, working countless hours to amass wealth for their own selfish use, to create the perfect lifestyle for them and their family running themselves and their relationships into the ground to get the things that they think are truly good for them but this wasn't how it was meant to be this isn't what it means to be human created things were not meant to rule over us we were meant to rule over them instead of being addicted to our iPhones we were meant to be able to rule over them and use them for the good of our relationships Instead of being ruled by the opinion of others, we were meant to be content with God's love and acceptance of us. Instead of being ruled by success, we were meant to have freedom to be generous with our time and money to love and serve others. We were made to rule. We were made to be free. And this is what we did whilst we were under God's reign, God's kingdom. But Adam and Eve exchanged God's rule for Satan's rule. And this was an absolutely heartbreaking tragedy. But thanks be to God that He didn't just leave us to die separated from Him. Instead, God acted throughout history to draw us back to Himself and to establish a new humanity that would rule under Him again. God decided to bring His kingdom, His rule, again through Jesus. In fact, this was a predicted In Isaiah 52, verse 7, years and years before, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Isaiah predicted that someone would come and bring the good news that God's reign had returned. And the messenger of this gospel was Jesus. Jesus brought the kingdom of God back to earth and offers us the opportunity to return back to the Garden of Eden, to become truly human again, to return to our true image as God's rulers and stewards on this earth. And eventually, heaven and earth will be united again. Jesus dealt the decisive blow against the kingdom of Satan. We're here to do the mopping up until one day God's kingdom will have come on earth in all of its completeness and all of its beauty until one day, like it teaches in Revelation 21, that the earth and heaven will be one and we will all say with the apostle on Revelation 11 verse 15 that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. This is the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray for us. Lord, help us to understand your kingdom. Help us to understand all that it means. It is good news for us. It is real news. Lord, we ask that your kingdom would come. Lord, let it come amongst us. May your kingdom come, your will be done in our church, in our community, in our homes, in our families. In our schools, in our workplaces, Lord, we want to see your kingdom come. It is good news. We thank you, Jesus, that you brought the rule of heaven. That you came as a king that we wouldn't have expected. That you came, instead of triumphing, you died. And you triumphed over our real enemies. Satan, sin, and death. Lord, we believe We repent and we believe the good news. Help us to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, the arrival of the kingdom of heaven has massive implications for how we live in this world. It changes everything. And today is the last day of 2017. And I want to encourage you to take some time to think about how you are going to live in the new year. How will you respond to the good news that the kingdom of God is available? What steps can you take to bring all of your life? What steps can we take to bring our church under the rule of God? I suggest you take some time over the next few days to just bring everything under His will. To just pray you could spend some time with Him and surrender your life to Him, your finances, your time, your energy, your calendar. Ask Him to guide you in the life of the kingdom and trust that the Holy Spirit will lead you. Over the next two weeks we're going to be exploring what life in the kingdom looks like. It's changed everything but what does that look like? Well Jesus talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount so we're going to dive into that sermon for the next two weeks and we're going to look at what it looks like to be people of the kingdom. So come along over the next two weeks to our AM services as we explore the kingdom life. The series will be We'll only be running in the morning services. In the PM services, we're going to be have some guest preachers coming along. So AM services is this series. PM services, we've got some guest preachers. But tonight, there is no service because it's New Year's Eve. So I wish you all a happy new year. Thank you, church.